Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, Brad, thanks for coming down. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to see you here in Madison. I love coming to Madison. Well, and today with the sun. Yeah, well, yeah. I campus. That's uh, it's my alma mater. Uh, yeah. So. You are, uh, were you an undergrad here? I was an undergrad. Or? I got my bachelor's of, of science in engineering in 83. In engineering. Yes. And what kind of engineering? It was engineering mechanics. They call it engineering physics today. They call it engineering physics today. Yeah, that's. Uh, it used to be engineering mechanics, and actually, I, I went looking. For Is that, that like well. mechanical engineering? No, it's, no. Um, it's 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 all. It, it, they use a lot of energy methods and mathematics versus you know. There's not as you know, mechanical engineering is a lot more tested. You would do the theory and then you test it in the lab. Right. Um, engineering mechanics, you do it mostly in in a you know through mathematic measurements, you know, math wow. calculations. And what have you. Wow. It's so are you like my son and you think in equations? Correct. You oh. used to. Well, I used to, you the the boards would be like seven or eight boards. Right. Of, of integrals. And right. <laughs> derivatives right. And drove you crazy. Yeah, my son has those on his. He's a the finance professor, mm-hmm. math guy. He's got them all over his yeah. office and. They, and you now push them from one yeah. side to the other, so it can be like this series of six boards. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was the world. For the benefit of our listeners, what are you doing now? Well, now I I am the director of new industry growth um, for Fab Wisconsin, a food and beverage uh, economic development cluster network, mm-hmm. um, to really do what we can do to grow the food and beverage industry in the mm-hmm. state of Wisconsin. And you're, and you're also uh, a food, in a, do you call yourself an innovation consultant? Or? Yeah, I, would, my, I have a side consulting business mm-hmm. um, of doing new product development, innovation, mm-hmm. um, strategy development, and really focusing on strategy development and then, then the execution step because mm-hmm. a lot of people have good strategies. Uh, right. The gap, the gap between strategy and execution is, is where you make your money. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So I want to talk about all of that because mm-hmm. I think that all of it is really um, potentially really useful to the people who listen to Edible Alpha. So why don't we start with um, um, you graduated from, from engineering school Correct. and then you went into food, right, right away? Yeah, well, what happened was my last year, year and a half, I had uh, an opportunity to go to Oscar Mayer mm-hmm. and work with the, as an, it was an internship, but it was a part-time for, for a year and a half. Um, so I got exposed to maintenance management systems at a, at, at, I would say, best-in-class level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I graduated and took that job, I mean, I had a lot of eyebrows raised that why do you need, you know, engineers in food? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I you always used to use the line, well, I mean, most of my, most of my cohorts were going to NASA or Rockwell. All right, so right. You know, they had to worry about thrust and vacuum and what mm-hmm. have you. Whereas we had to be able to eat off of our equipment. Uh, you, know? you had to so, worry about bologna. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, the technology, especially at Oscar Mayer, I mean, they, they developed all their own machinery. You know, from, wow. In pack, from processing to packaging, they, every machine that they had in their buildings was designed by their engineers. They had three, up to 300 engineers on the fifth floor at one point in time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I, I would like to say it's, it's the, it was the dream job for food and beverage mm-hmm. you know, and engineering. And it was right here in Madison. Correct. Didn't yeah. have to move. Didn't have to move. Yeah, I've had an it? opportunity to go. They had a training program for six months, and that was all great. And then mm-hmm. uh, then when you get out, you get an assignment. Right. You get uh, your first assignment. And the best, the, actually the best assignment was to be on third shift maintenance supervision. So that you would see the the plant in its idle state, and you well, could actually yeah. you could actually understand the whole process, because they they what they did was they groomed you through the process, and you know through the the six month training program, you had vice presidents talking about the food and beverage businesses. You know, Interesting and, and strategy. So, so you here you were coming in as an engineer, but you were exposed to strategy and marketing, marketing. and sales. The role and, and the role of operations and engineering, engineering and how it would how it grew the category how it grew their business mm-hmm. profitably. Wow. All right. And then like I said, then you get your first assignment. Now you're out in the real world and you have right. to you have to grow from there. And it was pretty much every two years you would move. You right know, from I went so what there. did you have what was your first assignment my first assignment I had 15 uh, packaging lines on in the Madison plant okay. on, between third floor and fifth floor wow and uh, the youngest mechanic I had we had 17 years experience and mm-hmm. seen guys like me come and go right um, so uh, it it's another the, kid from the UW yeah, exactly. right so it was uh, it was quite interesting but but it was great because you saw the lines, you know, down, and then you mm-hmm. fixed them, and then you, you know, and, and the neat thing about the Madison plant was is that they've built all their own machines. So it had the first model of every machine in the right. company. So it was quite intriguing to watch, you know, machine one, and then if they had a third or fourth line of it, and you'd see the fourth edition of it, mm-hmm. you know, in, a, in an updated state. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, uh, it was a really good experience. And then I had an opportunity from there to go into their plant, which is about a million square foot plant, mm-hmm. and be a maintenance planner. So mm-hmm. that, you know, I had the maintenance millwrights and the and the maintenance welders, as they call them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like about thirty or forty, you know, mechanics right. that took care of the the plant and the facility and the power plant. Mm. Did that There's for an enormous years. power plant over well, there. Well, they actually co-generated energy for the city. For the is, city, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, they have. St- you know, four foot, you know, four uh, story high boilers. Right. There. Can you yeah. imagine? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's quite the, like was, you could walk into that boiler. Yeah. Yeah, and I did actually. I climbed into one of them. Uh-huh. Um, and they shut it down, obviously. <laughs> but right. it was it was sort of an eerie feeling to go I in. Bet. To, to go in. It was like because normally the the whole bed, the conveyor bed, is, you know, probably about fifty feet uh, long, by about about another almost fifty feet wide. And there's just hot coals, right? You know, right. And uh, you can oh. have, you can climb through. The, you, when they shut it down to repair the refractory, um, you know, obviously it took weeks to get it cool mm-hmm. enough to get inside again. Mm-hmm. But we got inside, and it's, it was sort of, you know, like I say, you're inside the belly of the beast. Right. So what I what I'm I'm sitting here realizing is um, when I did Tara's way, the hardest position for me to staff was maintenance. Maintenance, yeah. Everybody is looking for maintenance, maintenance people, yeah. and it's gotten worse now because of the the, the back. Even, even as far when you were when you were you know while you were you were ten getting years technology, ago, ten yeah. years ago, fifteen twenty years ago, everything was mechanical. Right. And in the food industry, electronics came in, but it came in at a much slower pace than the rest of the manufacturing world. Um, so back then, you, you could get by with a good mechanic that it was like mm-hmm. a, that understood you know bearings and. And, and line shafts and things on that nature. But when you get into the PLC control world, mm-hmm. you not only have to really have to have that ha- understanding of that because they have to be, you know, the conveyors still have to move. 
Right. Um, but you have to control it, you know, not with on-off switches, but with PLCs and sensors and what have you. And that's where it's gotten a lot more difficult because back in the day, you didn't, you know, paying for that, you know, that, that those technologies weren't there. So a lot of the me- mechanics didn't, didn't have, have those that skills. skills. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's still going on today because everybody's got it and you're competing with them. You know, and, right. it, and it's not just the food industry asking for it. It's all the other technical industries that are willing to pay, usually more than the food industry mm-hmm. has paid. Mm-hmm. You know, and it all depends upon your markets. But the reality is, is they're pay- they have to compete. Right. But they, they have been on the low end mm-hmm. in the years gone by. And I'd say it's probably continued. Mm-hmm. in the food industry. Right. So um, so we had to park that idea yep. for fab, right? Yep. Because I I constantly have people tell me in, mm-hmm. from bigger food yeah. companies how hard they how hard it is for them to yeah. get maintenance people, maintenance maintenance yeah. staff, yeah. but even more keeping difficult them. oh well in keeping them and then even more difficult is the is the head of it, manager mm-hmm. maintenance. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it, well, I think say the some of them have, have been doing some really good things. I mean, I know when I was at Sargento, we'd worked and done, had done quite a bit. Of, there's a lot of there's a lot of good work in maintenance management, you know, equipment history, preventive mm-hmm. management, uh, preventive maintenance. Um, that you know, I think the, the industry has pre- gotten pretty good at, it and they've mm-hmm. been able to tap into. But the bigger issue, I think, is is developing the talent and keeping it. Right. Because once you get enough skill sets, you now can you go are anywhere. incredibly valuable. Yeah, yeah. It was the hardest thing for me to staff by yeah. far. Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. So you came out of that background, and then was it at um, Oscar Meyer when you started working in new product, like on the marketing side <laughs> well, of new product development, or when did that transition? Well, that, that transition. I mean, when I was at Oscar Meyer, I went. I had three years in Madison plant, and then mm-hmm. I went to corporate Lewis Rich, where I built the four plants that, okay. we were, that I was engaged with there. And at the end of the fourth plant, I finished, I, well, I had the fourth plant started, and I actually went into a one year, one year of business development at mm-hmm. Oscar Meyer. And, uh, and then... What did they mean, when they said business development, what did they mean by well, that? Well, what happened is at Oscar Meyer, especially with the Lewis Rich division, that, which was part of Oscar Meyer that I was in, um, Lewis Rich had, had their business development group was really a pivot point between marketing and operations, mm-hmm. all right, and so um, and it was it, it was staffed with industrial engineers. I wasn't an industrial engineer, mm-hmm. but I, I, they knew me. We, but you build plants, so you're kind of like an industrial engineer. So when I got into the, the business side, you know that part mm-hmm. of it, it was you know I I would work with marketing and finance on developing, you know the the you know our our Sedalia plant, you mm-hmm. know, we, and so it was we have a capacity need. Um, you know, so, it, and it's this many, you know, you know, they use hundred weights, but this many pounds of product, mm-hmm. um, and it was this mix of product. Mm-hmm. And then you would, then I would work with the engineering teams to develop the requirements to meet, match that. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I would, you know, fit, you know, keep, then go to finance and make mm-hmm. sure we put together the right financial package that goes with that. And then, you know, you run the fiat analysis to make sure, you know, that the, every expected return, and you could mm-hmm. put risk analysis into it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they did a very comprehensive approach I to bet it. they did, and, yeah. Um, and so I did that for a year, which was really, you know, was sort of the, f- you know, besides just doing the work, whenever you're building a plant, you're building it for new capacity mm-hmm. and usually for new products that are driving that, mm-hmm. right? So they always have some association with the R&D folks and with mm-hmm. the marketing folks just because of that. When I got into new business development, obviously you're married at the hip, right? Right. And then, you know, when I left Oscar Mayer to go to Sargento, I actually mm-hmm. went back into engineering. 
mm-hmm. and built a plan for them and start, set up their engineering group, did more technology work. But then at uh, about the five-year mark with, with Sargento, you know, they weren't growing as fast as they mm-hmm. had planned. And they said, you're interested in growing, so what about new product development? Mm-hmm. And so um, I took a lateral into new product mm-hmm. development and uh, had a really great mentor, actually a, a gentleman that worked with me at Oscar Meyer. He was the director of new products mm-hmm. that they brought in. So he knew all about the marketing, had great classical training and marketing on the same type of engineering training I got. Right. They had yeah, a marketing equivalent. program. So they had the equivalent mm. marketing program. So they, they had six months of training. They got an assignment, and they worked their way up through the mm-hmm. brands. Well, he knew marketing, and I knew everything mm-hmm. else and the, and the mm-hmm. operation side of it that he needed to figure out. So it was a nice marriage between the two of us. And then and then I got my master's in business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I've got all the, the ed, I've got the educational background, mm-hmm. but I've got the, the direct application and especially coaching and mentoring from, sure. I would say, a really good classically trained marketer. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, so I think it would be incredibly useful for people to hear how a big company like Sargento or 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 Oscar Mayer approaches the whole arc of new products development because I think our entrepreneurial people, mm-hmm. you know, to a certain degree myself included, come mm-hmm. up with this great idea that we think is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we start companies around a great idea and we really haven't gone through anything like the process that a bigger mm-hmm. company goes through. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, I would say you know Oscar Mayer, Sargentalis, and, and even you know Plermont's my other stop that I had. I mean, what what the way we approach it was our brand, mm-hmm. right? So you know, what does your brand stand mm-hmm. for? Okay, and so they, you know, so int- that's by the way about as far away from your engineering degree as you can possibly go, right? Probably from my engineering background, yeah, I suppose because you don't think like that. you don't you think, think like about that laws at all, of physics right? Things right, things nature. are like. But yeah. in business, you think about supply and demand. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's mm-hmm. my laws of physics for business. Okay, all right, and so you know, they I would be asked when I was an engineer to do something like, can't you cool it any faster? And it's like, no, it can only give up heat so fast. Right. All right, so I can't right. violate the laws of physics. Um, and so, and then some people would ask me in the business side, can't we get more for this or mm-hmm. whatever? I'm like, no, you can't violate the, violate the laws of supply and demand. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as we're getting into developing a business, you know, what's the what's the what is a business based on? It's mm-hmm. based on a promise. All mm-hmm. right. And the promise is driven by your brand. Mm-hmm. All right. And so you have to build your brand. And even even the entrepreneurs, I mean, they come up with a product first and they put a brand on it. I mean, the reality is, is they have they you know, they, they could start with a brand first. I mean, it, it really is a chicken or the egg thing, because at one time there was at one time a hot dog in probably some little joint in Chicago mm. that was Oscar Meyer's first right, hot dog. Right, right. And did he call, did he just put his he put Meyer's name on it? And mm-hmm. there's probably and I, I, I think the history is Oscar Meyer. I think it is the founder. So he just put Oscar right, Meyer on right, it. And it was hot dogs, right, right? Right. Sometimes people think there's magic to it. Not really. But once you've established a brand. The brand has a promise, mm-hmm. and that's what make that's what that's your connection. That's the only thing you own. Mm-hmm. I mean, because other people can make hot dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you set a, how do you set that promise apart si- apart from from the other hot dogs on the market mm-hmm. um, or cheese? You know, right. cheese is cheese, according to some focus groups I've been in. And, and we uh, have four thousand different kinds of cheeses made in Wisconsin, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. Right. And and so you know, our general brand means something. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. and you know, being true to it, you know, makes sense. So they, they, you know, when you're starting a brand, you you focus on where the biggest opportunity is. Mm-hmm. All right. So at that time, you know, I think Sir General actually started out with block cheese, just packaged 
prepackaged black cheese. That was an innovation because before that, you went to the deli. Right. And that's the only place you could get cheese. You couldn't get it in the dairy case. They didn't have it. The dairy case was probably only eight feet big, long at mm-hmm. that time. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was probably filled with milk. Right, right. right. And uh, so, you know, just having prepackaged cheese was an innovation. That's what Leonard did. Right. right? And then he started shredding it and slicing it and, and all the different things he could do to, and then try to grow that space. And so he's grow, you know, he created a new product, got it out in distribution. Merchandising was a big problem for him, mm-hmm. all right, because shredded cheese, the, all the peg bars you see with shredded cheese on it, nobody would ever do nobody that. Nobody had a peg board, Yeah, everybody right? just threw them into a well, and mm-hmm. they were just all over the place. It was a mess. It looked very disheveled. It didn't look, it didn't look appealing. Right, you know, right. The deli, you know, in, in years gone, you know, fast forward 50 years, and I'll come back for a second. You know, when I did some work on the deli, you know, mm-hmm. why is deli cheese better than the stuff that you buy in the dairy? Well, they said, because it molds. Like, because and, it molds? Yeah. And I said, Interesting. And, and I said, really, why? He goes, well, how can you make that other stuff not mold? Right. All right. And I'm like, okay, that's good. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, right. from, a, from an engineer's point of view, there's many ways to do that. Right, I mean, Modified right. atmosphere packaging and, you know, and naturally occurring, there's naturally occurring uh, mold inhibitors that you can use mm-hmm. um, that in, if you put them in a vacuum, they don't, they don't you don't get mold. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can have up to six months, you know. Or not six months, but you know you can get long shelf lives mm-hmm. enough for the distribution to work, and um, you know so it uh, you know consumers don't get that all right. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, deli was the only place you get cheese. When it showed mm-hmm. up in the dairy case, it, it was second tier product. It wasn't right. as good. And then oh by the way, Kraft, the natural leader. I mean they did mm-hmm. a great job of building a category, but they did it. Back in an era when, you know, Tang was the best thing in the world. That's the astronauts, the astronauts took Tang yeah, to the moon, like, yeah. yeah. And, you know, pasteurized American cheese was the best thing in the world because, one, kids would eat it because they could actually, it was easy, it was soft mm-hmm. texture. It tasted good because it, mo- it was made for kids. Right. Right. And so, you know, that's great. They create a billion-dollar category, but it's not, you know, a lot of people over the years now, one, that, that manufactured food is no longer mm-hmm. appealing, you know, so right. they've had issues with that. You know, I mean, any brand does. I mm-hmm. mean, with you know, being overly processed, right? And uh, so, you know, and that that was the dominant stamp of the dairy case was processed cheese, right? All right. And so, back in the day, it was great. Mm-hmm. But when you start nat- putting natural cheese in there, it's like, well, why is this cheese here? That doesn't mm-hmm. fit. Doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of it, you know a lot of things what, you're, what are happening in the dynamics of a category and a consumer, right? And your brand trying to come in and trying to create a space, and that's very right. common today. I mean, right? And, and you know. And, and so, you know, so moving forward through a brand development, let's say Oscar Mayer or Sargento, I mean, you know, they start with a small base, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they were a niche in their categories mm-hmm. right, at the time. Mm-hmm. And they grew them over time. Right. And they maximized the place that they, you know, the product lines that fit that place mm-hmm. in that consumer space. And then, the, you know, and then there's the go-to-channel issues that they, they've mm-hmm. figured out and maximized. And eventually what ends up happening all right, is they've maxed that out. They've got 100% distribution everywhere mm-hmm. of all their products, and they've figured out a way to slice it, dice it, add something to shred it, it, shred it, yeah, flavors, exactly. yeah, right? Flavors and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And they, eventually, they say, "All right, you know what? I want to go into other places where cheese can be used mm-hmm. or meat can be used." And so we start looking at adjacency strategies. Mm-hmm. All right, so in this case, um, you know. Yeah, I'll switch to cheese now. Okay, the dairy case had been doing well for them, maxed mm-hmm. out. They wanted to get into other places where cheese was used because cheese is used in almost everything. Right. All right. So there was a complete analysis done of all of the segments of the store. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, you know, you know, we didn't necessarily look in the. I don't know if we looked in the center of the store because there was no refrigeration, mm-hmm. and we we sort of we 
in the strategy, our brand is natural process, or not natural cheese, not processed, not mm-hmm. shelf ready. So you have some restrictions on your research. So are there also like in the brand identity there are there some other attributes like in the case of of um, Sargento mm-hmm. like what would those be? Well, you see so okay, I'll go, let's go back a little bit on the brand before we get yeah, into the, how we get into the products. So Sargento and a brand they developed, you know, it was it started out as just Sargento and it right. was that was Sar was was uh, Sartori and Gentine is the other half, mm-hmm. you know, Sartori made it. Well, they both made it together, they, but they were a dairy. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a brand that Gene mm-hmm. had put O on the end to make it Italian. And it's, it's and bingo. And bingo. They had Italian <laughs> cheese, right? right? And um, and then they were going to sell it. They, they sold it. Um, you know, I, I don't know for a fact that they sold it into the delis, but they probably did. Because mm-hmm. at the time, that was probably the only way you could get some some of their sales. Because mm-hmm. some places didn't have a pre, they didn't have pre-sliced. A dairy cake. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but they quickly wanted to get to that value-added packaging in the dairy case and be able to, mm-hmm. to do that. Um, so, but then, you know, like I say, so that sort of sets the, the foundation of its authentic Italian cheeses, mm-hmm. right? And so authentic Italian continued to grow in its family. It was a, right. a family-held company. Right. Um, so, you know, as, as, you know, as I, when I went from Oscar Mar to Sargento, I mean, it was... You know, I one, one I, family uh, company to the other at actually, the time, well, right? At the time, I mean, Oscar Mayer was owned by General Food. Well, actually, by Philip Morris by that. Or, oh, yeah, okay. Morris, yeah, they had a couple of transitions, but Hale Meyer still worked for the company when mm-hmm. I was there. Um, so there was like fourth generation Meyers, right. all right. And and then Lewis Rich was 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 like that. So they were family, but it, you know, it was then a larger corporate entity. But there was a feel of it. Mm-hmm. So General was it was appealing to go to a family company, right? right. And that was part of their brand, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then I know as we did research on their brand over the, mm-hmm. when I got into the marketing space, you know, we had a really, we, at one point in time, we had to, we had to, how do we differentiate ourselves against Kraft? Because mm-hmm. Kraft mm-hmm. owned the dairy case. Yeah, right. right. The big blue brands, right? Right, right. And, uh, you know, so we did a lot of work and we found that, you know, consumers saw Kraft as this big manufacturing company mm-hmm. that has stainless steel everywhere. We did some ethnic, we did some work with an industrial psychologist and we had brought in consumers and we said, okay, visualize walking down a hallway and open up a door that says craft on it and then tell, and write down, walk in and look around the room, write down. And what, tell, tell me tell what's in what's there. What's in there. Yeah. And, and they said and a bunch a lot of equipment. Of, a lot of white coats and stainless steel because that's what they saw in some of their ads and, right, they, and they know right. them as a big manufacturer mm-hmm. and they make processed cheese. Right. Right. So that's right. how you make processed cheese. You know, food scientists do that. Right. And, uh, and then they asked him to open the other door, and the other door said Sargento. And they said, well, mm-hmm. it's family, and it's a whole bunch of, it's, it's sort of a country scene, and it's, mm. it's everybody coming together. Hmm. All right. And so, you know, those are the kind of parameters that we worked around. Mm-hmm. All right. And, you know, and every brand should. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, because craft should, every time craft tried to become Sargento, you know. And, and right, or vice versa, it can't, versa, be. It you, can't you work. It can't be. I've, I've, I've right. seen it. You know, to pizza, I've seen it in cheese, I've seen it whatever. When you try to, you know, DiGiorno's tried to be that joint down the street. Mm-hmm. DiGiorno's a delivery quality pizza. That's what mm-hmm. it is. It's a great pizza. It's a billion-plus brand. But try to be that little, you know, that, pe- that, that unique, you know. At- uh, Goofy. You know, yeah, the, de- mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the Italian, you know, heritage pizza. And like, mm-hmm. no, it's not. It's a delivery quality pizza. Right. And so you got to be true to your brand. And that's what, you know, it, you know we found that out at Sargento. And, we've, and that's what they've been doing for probably since about 19. 19- 2000 on, you mm-hmm. know, be, before that they were doing it, but 
this was now, if you look at everything they do and touch, mm-hmm. the way they communicate it, who they communicate to, it gives them a, a target consumer to go after. Mm-hmm. I mean, the bullseye target. That doesn't mean they're exclusive to their Right, But they, right. their communication is bullseye to that, to that mm-hmm. target consumer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then what happens is it's not only, you know, how to talk to them, where, what they read, mm-hmm. right, what they, you know, where they get their information from. Well, and then their eating habits. Right. I mean, we would ask them questions about eating habits and where they eat, what they like to eat, what they like to do, and you know, and and what have you. And so that would that would sort of start framing, you know, not only mm-hmm. the way we would talk about our products, but our development of our products. Mm-hmm. You know, in the past, before we did the segmentation work, mm-hmm. um, you'd get a group of cheese consumers in a room, and one half would, would be on a diet, and all of a sudden right. everybody would be everybody eating wants low fat cheese, cheese and, and, and that was ten yeah. percent of the category at best. Right. You, know, you could ask the question, you know, to get to screen them out, are you on a diet? And they'd say no. But there were there were types of questions you could ask to screen consumers in mm-hmm. to get the right attitude in the room because that's mm-hmm. the attitude you're marketing to. Right. 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 And um, and when you can find an attitude that's you know has a behavior that they're doing that mm-hmm. doesn't have you know that they they're buying certain things because that's all they can buy. Right. And they have an attitude that wants to buy something else. Mm-hmm. That's the gap you want to look for, mm-hmm. right? Because if you can, if you can take, you know, if their behavior, if you can switch, that's the easiest behavior to switch, right? Because they don't want to do it anyways, right? Right. So this is so interesting to hear you say this because when I launched Tara's Way, it, it the the brand took off really quickly, mm-hmm. and the reason is exact. It it fits the situation you just described because there were already people who ate who were whey protein consumers, mm-hmm. who were natural category consumers, mm-hmm. and all that was available was the GNC mm-hmm. power yeah. bar thing yeah. with the big... And so when I launched something that was clean and organic and, yep. you know, positioned totally for them, it was like... They found it. it they found it right really away, fast. like yeah. really fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, and so, you know, so if you start looking at, you know, your brand, mm-hmm. you know, your target audience and your brand, how they interact, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you start doing focus groups with those kind of people and you right. start asking them questions about, you know, so when we did some we did some work, we did some lead work, I, you know, on... on, it, on, on other parts of the adjacent categories. Right. Two things we did. I mean, not only focus groups, we did some shop alongs and we talked. Mm-hmm. So What's sh- a shop along? So I went shopping with a moderator and a, uh-huh. and a, and a consumer. Uh-huh. And we shopped the store. Like 12 shop alongs. Uh-huh. And you would ask them anything about anything throughout the store. Right. And the, the consumer. The consumer. And it okay. was very interesting. People do not shop the way you shop, by the way. I mean, you just, you think they do. You right, know? right. Everybody's at the center of the world's around your head, right? Right, right. And everybody thinks like you. Um, but it was really eye-opening. I know and in this case, you know, when we got to one area of the store, I won't necessarily get into some of the proprietary mm-hmm. natures of this stuff. But all of a sudden, the halo went on on all 12 consumers. Isn't right? that interesting? And so they like, okay, that, and then, so that was one of the segments of the store that we were looking at. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, it, it helped us, you know, when we started going through size of category, growth mm-hmm. opportunities, target consumer, you know, at, you know, like, Attributes. yes, our target consumer likes this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there was a big unmet need in that segment, mm-hmm. all right? It gave us fertile ground to start developing products. And it mm-hmm. helped us separate one, get rid of the other segments, and quit right, looking at Right, because there are 4 million opportunities, yeah. Yeah, typically, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You gotta, there's a, there's a really an infinite, yeah, yeah, an infinite yeah. combination of things. And so you had to get rid of so So we were able mm-hmm. to, to get, and especially to get a larger corporation. Mm-hmm. This is where it's easier as an entrepreneur. Get a, you only have a handful of people around you. Right. When you get hundreds and thousands of people around you, all right, you have mm-hmm. to get them to line up. Right. And there's got to be criteria to do that. That's what, right. that's what the whole process is all about. Let alone, not only just for alignment, but it's for, for obviously for business and for brand alignment, but a company alignment. 
yeah. capability alignment. Yeah. And uh, so once we got once we got that figured out, then then we started talking. Then we had more traditional focus group for mm-hmm. the target consumer on an array of products that could, that we could offer. One, we talked about the occasions, mm-hmm. the eating occasions and the usage occasions and where they had an, at, you know, an attitude one way and their behaviors another. Mm-hmm. You know, what would be the solution if, mm-hmm. you could, if, you could, if you could just create whatever you wanted? Right. We, we, we used some uh, lead consumers. Uh, one, one marketing group we had has a very good, what she calls them sparks groups, where mm. they, can, they, they can just spark an idea. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, we did that and we came up with, you know, an array of uh, concepts mm-hmm. that we concept tested. So in a concept test, you write the idea up, like mm-hmm. a, basically about the equivalent of an ad, a 30-second ad. Mm-hmm. So it's got about that much reading content, a couple of visuals, um, product. Pictures. You know, pictures in, a, in, 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 in packaging. Packaging and price points and mm-hmm. where you'd find it in the grocery store. And, and you send that out through, you know, uh, Internet testing. And mm-hmm. uh, you can screen people in to get the right kind of consumers. You know, you mm-hmm. don't, you you would you'd screen them in. You, well, what would happen is you would actually get a, a sample size, a statistical mm-hmm. sample size of probably about three to five hundred consumers, um, and then you know you have a sample size of the ones a, a subset that you know statistically mm-hmm. is relevant that you're targeting. So you could marry, you could you could check out this idea on the general population, mm-hmm. and also the the center, you know, the bullseye target. Right. Right. And you, then what happens is we come up with ranking order mm-hmm. of ideas, mm-hmm. and then we started the development curve. Right. And that, that gets you to the, okay, now we have a concept. Right. This is the idea. Right. Holy cow. Yeah. So here I thought we just can, like, go into the kitchen and no, mix no, up my no. tomato sauce. Like, you don't, I mean, it, like, see, we don't <laughs> we, we don't, didn't do, didn't do it that. like yeah. that. Yeah. No, you, we really, you know, the, the thing that I've always said is the product is the eas- easiest part to I, do. Yeah. Once you have it all defined... You know, making the product, you know, food scientists are great at that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, culinary people I mean, right. working and food scientists working together can make the, make anything you want. But giving them the guidelines that are consumer-driven and have a real need mm-hmm. um, takes out the highest rank in the room vote. Right. All right. So, you know, just because a millionaire CEO right. likes it, well, you right. know what? You're not 45 to 20, you're not 25 you're, to right. 45. You're also, not the target market. Yeah, with, with yeah. Only, you know, 75 to $125,000 right. income, you know. Not, it's not you. Yeah, exactly. And thank you for liking it. You know, but. Right, right. But we don't care about you. <laughs> you said you wanted to make money. You know? There's so, the thing yeah, that'll get yeah, them interested. Yeah, you want above yeah. average returns. So, um, so, you know, going through the process of quantifying, mm-hmm. you know, this statistically, all right, and then we used various research groups. I mean, there's some that are better than others. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of them can give you a good liking score, purchase intent scores, and stuff like that. Some of them actually mm-hmm. do a better job. They have normative databases because they've mm-hmm. launched other products. Right. So they can your score against other products that have actually launched in the marketplace. Right. That's the probably the best scenario, but that comes with a price. You know, so, that research. I, you know, thinking about what would be the analogous, what, what could somebody who's a startup who can't afford all that, what, what could they do? So... Yeah, um, what they so wonder, what they end up doing a lot is is once they've got the product is like mm-hmm. so you do the you know the farmers, farmers market markets, the farmers yeah. markets help and the, and and demos and mm-hmm. and and some people that are more I say I would say sophisticated they actually do a little bit of, of what I've just described very mm-hmm. I would say more in a qualitative setting because if you get a, a vote of fifty votes right right uh, and then and you were able to quantify those votes and then when I say mm-hmm. no they're a little bit of their demographics you may not have attitudinal segmentation mm-hmm. you could probably guess their attitude. Right. For the most part, I'm a I'm a I'm a healthy nutrition seeker. Okay? Right. Um, you know, I I, mm-hmm. I could probably tell what you are. You know, mm-hmm. you know, if you've been in the industry, if you're sort of right. savvy. Yeah, right? yeah. 
Um, and if you had 50 votes and you were able to just, when I say mm -hmm. 50 votes, if you just had a, a half page and liking scores mm -hmm. and purchase intents and just really basic questions, you could get, with 50 votes, you could get a probably about to, I'd say, a 70% confidence level that that would replicate the la a larger population, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right? With 100 votes, you can get up into the 80s, 90s, and with mm -hmm. 150 to 200, you can get up to the 95% confidence mm -hmm. level. So you could do it, you, just, you know, because when you think about it, if you're at the farmer's market, you could probably get 50 votes mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. weekend, mm -hmm. all right? So you could replicate this model, mm -hmm. you know, at any level. Mm -hmm. Now, that's why, you know, I often recommend when I'm going through startups, you know, is, is one of the areas that I haven't seen a lot of activity on is, is this, it's just this, it's sort of the marketing new product development. There's, there's very, very little formality yeah. being injected into the process. Yeah. I th and I think it's because, um, you know, you can make your own tomato sauce. So the, so mm -hmm. the food gets, well, you know. Because you can make it and stuff like that. But doesn't mean you can sell it. And yeah, so there's exactly. this huge gap, right? And But this is my theory. In the world of software, um, it doesn't work that way yeah. because because they have to go through a process yeah. of, of figuring yeah. out you have to have earlier. The betas. You have to, yeah. yeah, exactly. You have to have people just try it, and then you get to a beta test. Right. And, and and I don't like I say I haven't seen it in the food and beverage world mm -mm. per se. I mean, some of the better entrepreneurs mm -hmm. have figured out a way to do s most something. Of this. Some yeah, of this, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the ideal ecosystem would be right. hey, we have a whole bunch of qualitative processes. Qualitative is sort of the maybe a misnomer even. You could say it's quantitative, but at this at fifty percent mm -hmm. confidence level, right? You know, which still is only flipping a coin. Mm -hmm. Now it's better than at least you've flipped. At least you've done something to validate. Mm -hmm. So when you and and by the way, some companies by do a lot of qualitative analysis, mm -hmm. all right? And they use it as quantitative. So they say fifty percent of our, you know, like you know, eighty percent right, of the consumers group, said that right. they buy it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a focus group, and they're using that as they everybody right. loves this product. Well, right. If you use a focus group to say that that doesn't really mean anything mm -hmm. um, because it is it's statistically reliable. Mm -hmm. um, and and as much as you can say, well, no, we shouldn't do that in the entrepreneurial world. I don't know. You you only have so many chances to fail when you go to market. Right, right. And I I think you know as the the local food movement is maturing mm -hmm. the way it is, um, you have fewer chances now mm -hmm. because there's so many more people doing it yeah. now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think it. I think that whole idea of trying to find a, um, I don't know if you call it a product or something, but something in the food fab would be a perfect mm -hmm. place to do something like this. Mm -hmm. You and I have talked about this mm -hmm. the, of having having some way that's a service or a process that people young. Mm -hmm. food companies could go through yeah. that would provide some of this insight for them. So well, they, we've been, like I said, we did the fab starter, but to yep. your point, that was a little more of how to start a business, which is broader than right, we right, right, here. right. This is um, this is this just is, this around is this new product, new product development, development yeah. and brand development because yeah, yeah. they don't even really know what their brand promise is yeah. typically. No, they like don't. they can't efficiently well, articulate that. And if you don't know that, then how? Yeah. You don't know who your consumer, you don't know who you're yeah. speaking to, yeah. you don't well, know. And, and the, problem, the, the biggest problem about all of this, too, like I say, you got to get that right anyways, mm -hmm. right? But if as an entrepreneur, as you're walking into, not only, even let's just say you get it on the shelf, mm -hmm. all right? Yeah, you know, how are you going to communicate it to the consumer to pull it off the shelf? Because mm -hmm. you have to be, and the only way, consumers, just because they see something new doesn't mean they buy it. In fact, right. if, especially if it's a premium price, because, you know, you've got to earn that respect. Right. All right. 
Um, you know, some people will buy like that, but that's, once again, that's a fraction of the households, all right? Um, you have to be in their consideration set. Mm-hmm. So you have to have some kind of messaging to them. Right. right? So you have to have that right. Now, that's, that's once you've made it to the consumer, but you've got to get through the customer to get to the consumer. You have to get through a broker and a distributor mm-hmm. to get to the customer to get to the consumer. You know, you have to be sharp for the consumer anyways. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that figured out, you say, well, I'll figure it out when I get there, all right? Well, first off, you probably won't even get there because right. they don't want to. They don't need to talk to you. It's not like you're gonna. They don't. They see thousands of new ideas every every week or every week, every month, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they have limited amount of time. They got fifty thousand SKUs in a grocery store. I mean, so right. you know they can't 50, be looking. At, yeah, they can't be looking at every other one, every all the other hundred thousands of them that are variants of the fifty. Right. In most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're all over the place with your message and you can't convey what the heck it is, mm-hmm. they won't. They won't even. You know, they won't let you in. Right. All right. So that's why you know, like, so there's multiple reasons why you have to a brand, a message, and why your product is should be on their shelf. But, you know, just getting it to the customer and then getting the pull away from the consumer and then delivering mm-hmm. against the, all of them. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to deliver for the customers, but the consumer, that promise better be, wow, that was the best whatever. I'm going to buy that again. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, by the way, they're not going to buy it again for, even though they might say they're going to buy it every week, they're going to buy it every month or two months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they got to remember that you're, the, remember you, you, right. you, they just reintroduced you once, right. you know, probably. Whether it was a demo or mm-hmm. whatever kind of you know uh, message. Now, I mean, with internet marketing these days, you can do more to hit them. Mm-hmm. You know, where you can at least because it's all about freak, you know reaching frequency. I mean, you got to. It takes like about eight to ten times. If you look at a sales call, mm-hmm. it takes you know the average sales call takes five to seven calls and contacts right. before you get the customer to say yes. That has everything to do with the fact that your buyer has got a distraction going on twenty four seven. Right? They weren't waiting for you. They like their world wasn't like just waiting for you to show up. Um, you know, if you get a clean, clear message that's re- resonance every time, the seven times you call, that. Oh, this is that person again. Mm-hmm. At least they remember you. Mm-hmm. Then you might get there, right? But that's why you know when you look at it from a, when you go to the next level to the consumer, they're shopping in that store with fifty thousand SKUs, and they are, they only hate people hate shopping. Right, they hate being yeah. there on yeah, top of yeah. it all. I mean, right? the only ones that like to shop are guys like me. Right, you know, and, you know, people that are in it in the <laughs> who business, get paid, who yeah, are in the business, and you get paid to do yeah, it. Yeah. Now, why do um, you like shopping? Yeah. But. Um, but they're in the store. They usually have their kids hanging on them. You know, and this is the last place they want to be. Screaming in the cart. I know, like, you know, my wife has brought it up with, like, with Aldi. The one thing she loves about Aldi is she can get in and out of that store in 15 minutes. Right. And get about 80% of what she needs, you know, right. for that, that shopping. Because it's small. It's small. It's limited. They have limited selection. Right. I don't and have to look she, at yeah, the pricing, 20 brands the pricing, of paint. She knows the pricing is going to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like she just goes on down the list and it's like she can get in and out. That's what she loves about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can create a time machine, then you've got the ultimate tool. You know, but, you know, until yeah, we, do, until we figure that out. Right, <laughs> right. Okay, so in the beginning there was a brand, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so we we get a brand, we get a brand promise. Um, we we start understanding who our target consumer is. Mm-hmm. Um, now we start developing some products for that consumer, Correct. right? Those attributes aren't just the product, Right. Like the, the, like the packaging and the labeling yeah, and the design exactly. and the word, yeah, I mean, the communication, it, everything, right? It, anything you see and touch. I mean, so, you know, 
I mean, pack, you know, and when you say packaging, I mean, it's a feature of opening and closing. Can you get your hand in it? How many times does it need to be used? I mean, if you're just going to rip it off and throw it away, um, it's the way it looks. I mean, mm-hmm. especially if you're extending a brand, all right? Mm-hmm. I've been engaged with that with both Oscar, all, all the companies I've been with, where you might be uh, either extending the brand where you're still keeping the Sargento on it, but it's going to be in a different part of the store. Mm-hmm. Or... You know, at Palermo's, we, we created new brands, all right, for a reason, mm-hmm. all right, you know, because our brand didn't, we wanted to create, you know, Screaming Sicilian. Right. We wanted that joint down the street. Nobody right. had ever seen it. It was crazy irreverent, all right? Right. So Palermo's was more of the traditional mm-hmm. old, old, and we had a matrix that we'd built up of, you know, traditional to hip, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, traditional to, I would say, you know, cutting edge, hip, uh, edgy. Um, and then there was sort of like, you know, then on, and then the type, that was just more of an attitude. Mm-hmm. And then on the products, it was artisan, which could have been, you know, gluten-free. I mean, different, all right. different types of artisan type of mm-hmm. products to tra- traditional, again, which would only be, you know, could be, had to be double zero. Pepperoni. Zir- du- yeah, pepperoni and double zero sifted flour from Italy. All right. You know, the, 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 the right kinds of ingredients. So, you know, when you do that, you know, like. Palermo's didn't belong over in the edgy, you know, because mm-hmm. that's not what they were. Um, now they had a good product, but they, you know, they wanted to go even further. They wanted to go higher yet. They didn't want to worry about the price because people buy expensive pizzas, mm-hmm. but only if they're worth it. Right, and, and if the if the yeah. brand so is just like DiGiorno, when DiGiorno put gold labels on things and tried to become that joint down the street. Their it brand, their brand was the delivery guy, and they show it in their ads every mm-hmm. time with the pizza popping up and down on the, right. the deliver, back of the delivery car, um, and then they're trying to be this edgy, you know, pizzeria joint down the street, and like it dis, there's a disconnect, and while it, it it actually didn't fail, it just didn't live up to their expectations. Right. So I what heard you, I heard Lou Gentine speak once. I think it was at a Fab event. Mm-hmm. He said that it costs when Sargento la- launches a new product, they mm-hmm. figure it's ten million dollars. It costs to at launch least, a new product for the most part. At least, I, well, because well, ultimately, be, I mean, if it goes because now they're a big. If it goes nationally, yeah, because yeah, there's two things that are going on. I mean, slotting. I mean, if you pay full slotting, which you know, if you're they, big, they can negotiate. But but even at that, mm-hmm. you still have to pay something. So full slotting, unnegotiated, is probably $1.5 million just to get one facing on the shelf. In the, in the one upper, facing. So one face. skew yep. nationally. So if you get four so skews, it's $6 million. $6 million. Yeah. Just on slotting. Yeah, just on and slotting. that's nationally. That's, and that's like every major retailer, though, right? Well, not every. Walmart doesn't. Walmart does not charge slotting. Aldi doesn't charge slotting. And, you know, now Aldi doesn't take many brands. Um, Walmart takes all brands. But mm-hmm. then you have to hit a velocity or you're out. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, you know, Publix does some things in mm-hmm. lieu of slotting, but it's still money. It's still money. Yeah. Free fills. Yeah, exactly. Something. Well, what ag- most of the more progressive ones, you know, that char- make you make sure they have introductory programs, mm-hmm. which is smart because mm-hmm. you know I'd rather pay for performance, right? You know, to get people to try me, all right, um, than to just put money, you know, build somebody's warehouse. All right. right. And that's sort of what slotting was originally for. It's mm-hmm. like we have to build a warehouse. You have to, have, you know, there's fees to that. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so not everybody does it, but still, it's still $1.4 million. It's, all, it's yeah, a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's uh, and then, no and then, promotion. That's, and then, that's then, just then for the right to be there. Then you promotional dollars and advertising dollars. And those, and that's why when you said $10 million, I mean, I had, I had really programs fast. with them that we developed, and it was $10 million just for the advertising. Wow. All right. 
So now, granted, you know, when you do the 10 million for the advertising, there's a halo to the. And once again, mm-hmm. if you do this right, it's 10 million for the brand. They they're gonna mm-hmm. spend, you know, these large brands spend hundreds, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars advertising every year. You know, you see their ads right, on TV. Right. Right. So you want to talk about, you know, you can talk about yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, which gets old in a while, after a while. Or you can talk about what's new and different and news mm-hmm. that relates that helps ladder your brand up. Right. So that's why most of them, you'll, if you'll notice, most brands don't just talk about Tide, just talking about Tide. It's about their new product. And then they let, you know, and the reason new to believe. New and improved. Yeah, the yes. reason to believe it's because Tide's done this and it's great for the ecology, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, it does something to add to their brand. Their products are, you know, your product and your brand, there's a symbiotic relationship that, that ladder both of them up. All right. And so, you know, that's what, you know, is when you start looking at it, it's like, so it's, you know, how, how it helps, you know, build the brand, you know, the new product focus. Um, you know, you'll have, like, say, there'll be packaging elements of it. Uh, anyways, but anyways, yeah. So, so anyways, you know, we're now point, at, at, we've got um, a brand, we got, got a brand, brand we got a brand promise, we got something, some, we got a product, mm-hmm. we got some packaging. And talk about um, distribution, like, yeah, how do yeah. you pick? Where to go? Um, ideally, you pick where to go where the consumer said they're going to find it. Right. Um, and and that's that works out great if you then if you can sell it in that way. I know one right. product line I sold in that um, was going to be in the produce section, but the mm-hmm. retailer said you, your brand is over in the dairy section. Mm-hmm. All right. And so we had to. It was a long drawn out process. We got it in the produce section, but it, you know some some retailers had the dairy guy stocking it right or dairy whoever is which is like more work for them yeah now, it is right? well and they only got over there never once, once, they, they a really week, once a week yeah. or you know even if they try to get over there more often what ends up happening is out of sight out of mind if you're mm-hmm. busy today and you wouldn't and it could be empty over in the other mm-hmm. section but you didn't know it because you were busy doing a reset mm-hmm. right so you know what en- so what ends up happening is is i mean most of the time people who are developing products they just go to the me too location mm-hmm. you know? Sometimes if it's brand new and it doesn't really fit that occasion, it doesn't belong there. Mm-hmm. All right, um, you know, so that's why it's always important not to just assume you know where it should be. I mean, you should ask people, you know, when you're talking to them, where would you expect to find this in the store? So I had I had a client um, some number of years ago, um, lovely young, talented um, two two women. Um, this could only happen in Madison. They developed vegan baby food. Mm-hmm. And the thing about vegan baby food is you have to freeze it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, nobody buys baby food in a freezer, yeah. so nobody could find it, yeah. right? Yeah. And then the other problem with this is it turns out that people who have that are that strict about diet mm-hmm. aren't buying baby food, period. They yeah. make their own baby food. Yeah. So this was an incredibly difficult product. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I tell everybody to try to be a little company. Launching a product that is going into a new place yeah. in a store yeah. is a recipe for failure. Yeah. I mean, it's not that it can't be done, but you have it's to be really difficult. good at it. I mean, that yeah. is, that there's four Ps. All of them have to work in unison. Right. And the physical distribution, if, you, if, if, if it's going to be a problem, all right, then you have to put more energy into solving that problem. Mm-hmm. All right. And then you have to... You know, and, and once again, it, sometimes it's sometimes it, it, it is it's it's like say it's a, a, a something you can do you can take care of, but to your point, if the attitude is, you know, I, I can remember um, we developed a frozen pizza that you know is basically it's a frozen pizza that 
the quality that you would never it was not you'd never find it in a frozen aisle. Mm-hmm. And and so you know we were talking about some of the ads that went with it. And I said, well, and my question was, is like, well, who's your target? And it was like, well, for people that don't eat frozen pizza. And I'm like, well, okay, then then you got to hit them where they're where they are. Mm-hmm. But they're never going to look at a, a trade ad for frozen pizzas because they don't buy them. Right. All right. Um, and so if you're going to convince them of that, you got to convince them. You know, you get, you're going to have to use different vehicles to right. convince them. Right. Right. Because it's just they're not. You know, it's, it's sort of like you know, like it'd be like saying, okay, I you know, uh, I, I use the analogy on that one. I go like, you know, if I'm a if I'm if I'm selling footballs, but you know. I'm trying to get people that bowl, right. right, to buy me, right? Right. It's like, you know, no, you're going to, you can't just, you know, they're, they're going to walk right by. Right. They're, they're just looking, they just look at the bowling ads. Right. You know, or they just go to the bowling section, all right? So, so you can't. And it you, doesn't matter how cheap <laughs> it is, too. So this is the other thing that yeah. people then, well, yeah. it's too expensive. Well, and so cheap, I have to do this. It's price, like, oh. If you are playing on price, you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, especially if you're a because, startup company. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, anything on price, you know, the, the big players will mm-hmm. kill you. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can crank this stuff out. out. Yeah, and they, it's all built for tonnage, right. tonnage sequences. Tonnage sequences. <laughs> okay. Doesn't that make you want to eat it? <laughs> tonnage sequence. Well, but that's just. The, the, I mean, they have teams of of professionals to make right. to take every ounce of of, of non value added handling out of it. Right. So you can't. Com- you cannot compete on price. Right. Right. And right. so I just. Period. Don't. So back, you said four Ps, and they all have to be going together. Yep. What for the so, benefit of our listeners? What are four Ps? Okay, so the four Ps are product, price, place, and promotion. Right, and place. So you you talked about place in the store. I also um, talk to people about place being um, like like channel. Mm-hmm. So channel. Yeah. So food yeah. service versus retail yeah, or yeah. I, well and I you say I usually call it physical in, in, in some like most marketing books it's and then in, in in the consumer in the in the world of, of food that I grew up in mm-hmm. it was physical distribution mm-hmm. you know that p right so i mean where does it go i right. mean which channel are you going mm-hmm. into and and then once within that channel, where is it on the shelf? Where is it? Yeah. All right. It's all of the and physical the, things. All the physical things to get it on the shelf because that's the only way the consumer can, can consider it. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it could be virtual. I mean, with the advent mm-hmm. of online, so that place right, is online. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But now you are competing with every single. They got to find you online. Just right. type in something online, and you, right, and you'll see how hard it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, those all have to work in unison because if they mm-hmm. don't, you know, you know now you know those are the cores of marketing, or right? and then you get the whole brand, you know, the the branding piece of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, is the is really all of them? They they all feed into it. Mm-hmm. But the reason they even consider those four P's is because they have a brand that they 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 are they are attracted to. Right. All right. right. And and you are in their consideration set. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and so, you know, that's why I always come back to it. If you don't really know what your, you know, the, your, your brand promise is going to be when it's all said and done, mm-hmm. and, and then it doesn't pivot around that, I mean, I don't know how you can really develop your products. Right. You know, even, even, you know, like say if you have a good product first, then, okay, how do you best sell that? That, that means you're creating, dim- you're creating the dimensions for your brand properly, mm-hmm. right? But and how do they stand out in, in the, the sea of 50,000 SKUs? Right. What makes you defensively unique? Yeah. I interviewed Grilly Goods in an earlier podcast, and um, they participated in the accelerator at mm-hmm. FAB that, that you head mm-hmm. up and I help you with. And 
And they're a terrific example of what can happen yep. to a business when they went back and got it right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they had a great product. I mean, mm-hmm. I really do like the product. I do too. And I wasn't really their target in the beginning. Yeah, I've always been a I've always been a healthy nutrition seeker. Okay, because of, all right. Of, of, that's you know that's it's part that's of you. My part of me, but I just wasn't you know the whole paleo, all the different things. I just mm-hmm. eat healthy, good food. Right, right. right. I don't have to get to the latest craze of things, right. and, and and sometimes they're fads. I mean, I've been through the Atkins and the the proteins and the da 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 da, and I just you know I just look at a balance. So, you know, you know, for girly goods, it's, it's paleo, it's organic, it's whatever. I, it's you know, raw. It's raw. You know, it's different things that, okay, yes, I, I don't study food as, as much as I'm in food. Mm-hmm. I, like to, I like to eat food, but I don't, <laughs> I don't want to have to study it all mm-hmm. the time to find the right food to eat. Right? I, you know, I'll find it, mm-hmm. but I don't want to have to study to find it. Um, and so I, I wasn't on that curve. I wasn't in his, you know, that's where mm-hmm. his bullseye target yep, yep. does do that. They mm-hmm. look for those kind of things. And yet they had a creative person that gave them some poor advice. I mean, mm-hmm. and this happens a lot because they have to develop their web page and they have mm-hmm. to develop some packaging. And so they get somebody that's creative and they develop something that looks sort of cool. And, they, and since they were sponsoring with... Uh, uh, the Fossey Foundation mm-hmm. for Gorillas, you know, mm-hmm. it was Gorilla Goods. Right. And so this person created this really cute Gorilla Good package. Right. All right. And it looked like a kid food. And their right. bullseye target was Jack, the you know, the mountain climber. Right. You know, in the you know, <laughs> adventure biker. Right. Um, and so he, he did, it didn't even he wouldn't even think about right. looking at it until right. you know. And they said the buyers in yeah. the store didn't know where to put it in the store yeah. either because it was like, is this for kids? And Maybe finally, it should yeah, be. And finally, yeah. one buyer you know talked to him honestly, and then mm-hmm. it got to know Stephen and said, you know, you're you're way off here. This is wrong, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and so then they went back and they they, they hooked up with a, a marketing group. Not mm-hmm. a, and this is one thing I'll, I'll definitely say we need. And I've been on the way in today. I was. Talking, we we've got to get this marketing network for we entrepreneurs do. support um, because you know all too often, as I said, that you get creative people, web designers, they're not marketing people. Marketing mm-hmm. people think like the brand stuff that we've been talking about, right? All right, and so then you know when they brought in the right marketing group, they did a good qualitative version of mm-hmm. a segmentation analysis to understand the parameters around Jack, the bullseye right. target, and what Jack would be looking for and what have you. And then, then they recre- and once they had agreement on that, then they turned around and redid their packaging and some of their communication, their initial communications, and now it it, it looked very relevant uh, on the right edge. That it there's not many products that look like it out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some that are close, but once again, they're they're grilly goods, and they had a you know they had a very definitive you mm-hmm. know tagline and 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 uh, um, positioning that they have selected and gone down, and. Um, it's done great. I mean, yeah, it, it, right. You know, between all their, the shows that they did during the year that we were with them and, and then uh, eventually, you know, their partnership with Nature's Path, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're on the right trajectory. Right, you know? right, um, right. It was pretty transformational yeah. for them yeah. to go through this process. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think that, you know, I had been in the industry for a long time before I did Tara's Way, so mm-hmm. I kind of understood this mm-hmm. before I did it, but most people don't, well, right? See, the problem and you're so, running, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I, that's I had, unusual. I, I've had, I, had, I can't remember where it was recently, but I was like, you know, I've had 30 years to develop this, the, the things I've done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so it's like... It's not like, you know, you, well, how do I get there? Like, well, you, you don't just get it, no. right? That's one reason why, you know, you, but you're an entrepreneur. You're, I've also not made my own business. Mm-hmm. I've built other people's businesses. Right, right. right? But, 
But, you know, so they're not going to have all the skill sets. Mm-hmm. I've got that one page on how to maximize profit. Right, You've right. Seen that. And, uh, you know, you have to be good at all of them. Now, luckily for me, I've actually been able to do almost every single one on that chart. Mm-hmm. All right. The problem is, is that's over 30 years. Yeah. Most of these people right. are not even 30 years old. So. Right. So it, FAB has a starter, the starter. starter, scaler, and the accelerator. So maybe right. you want to talk about the three of those? Okay. So uh, the three programs, you know, sort of think of it as a funnel leading, you know, entrepreneurs into it. So what we're doing with the starters <laughs> is so people that are thinking about starting a food mm-hmm. and beverage business. Um you know, so what we do with that is, you know, is we basically pull out, you know, the, a method for them to be able to k- take all of the thoughts in their head mm-hmm. and sort of guide them into a basic process. And we're using the business model canvas mm-hmm. for that, all right? Which that's good, what it's good it's for. Good, it's what it's built for. Especially some of the the better entrepreneurs may end up going to different sources, which they should. I mean, everybody, all the good mm-hmm. entrepreneurs should always be looking for resources. And uh, so if they did go to a university ETP program, an entrepreneurial training program, they'll pull out the business model canvas. So they'll already have one done, all right? Um, if, they go to, if they go into, you know, almost any other, I'm going to say accelerators, they pull them out too. Mm-hmm. So they'll have one done. So it puts them on the right path, all right? And then we also, not only does it talk about the value proposition and the, the go-to-market strategy, then if you think you got an idea to, to make it work, we talk about the next 10 steps you need to do in order to be able to, you know, to develop an operating plan, a marketing plan, a sales plan, um, all the key elements. You have to, you know, start developing those resources so that you can actually make this product at a profit. Or what's it going to take to make this product at a profit? Mm-hmm. All right. So that's what the starter is all about. Mm-hmm. It's really to give you those kind of resources and those guidelines to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you do it without it? I mean, some people say, well, no, let entrepreneurs be entrepreneurs. Well, you sort of get what you get then. You know, you got to get it from the street, and you got to do it that way. We're trying to do is saying, well, there's some people that are really good at operations, but they may not be good at sales and marketing. Well, so we can help them there. Right? And I think if you, you and I both were to reflect upon the clients we've had who've been the most successful, mm-hmm. they are learning all the time. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's and so. So we're going to give them some guidelines mm-hmm. and some resources. And that's mm-hmm. what the starter does. Make it easier. The scaler, our first scaler is coming up actually next week, mm-hmm. all right, July 19th. Um, and uh, that one is, okay, now you've been in business. How do I make money at this? Right. All right. Or how do I, and how do I, I scale it and make it grow? So now this one pulls out my business model and says, mm-hmm. okay, is this, you, know, you know, now you're in business. How do you maximize profit? You have a, an operating plan that, you know, that reduces cost and gives you the best quality. Mm-hmm. All right. And it's, and it's food safe. All right. You have marketing that has a brand position that maximizes your margin, all right? You have sales that has it's focused on distribu- getting points of distribution at the right price, mm-hmm. all right? And if you get those three things, they're actually usually fighting each other because operations doesn't really want to worry about price. If they, you know, if they, if, if they have a bad, you know, they can't buy, find something, they have to pay more, mm-hmm. they, so what? You know, it's just cost more. Well, you can't just pass that on to the consumer, you know, so... You have to. They have to have tension between the three. Those three plans. Once those three plans are balanced, though, then you got your maximizing profit, and then that's something that, okay, that's a business model that can actually work. Mm-hmm. That sh- that can get funding. All right. So, um, so that's what the scaler is for. Yeah. So, do you address the issue in the scaler, or um, how do you work with clients on the issue of? When is it time to think about having your own manufacturing and what to think about? Because this, everybody tries to encourage people, and it makes a lot of sense to use co-packing facilities often. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then there comes a time when it doesn't make sense yeah. anymore. Yeah, we do talk about it both. We talk about it in this in the starter. We do we, we we talk about the ways of getting mm-hmm. operation years on. You can use charities, kitchens. You can use coping. Right. You can make your own dedicated facility. Um, you know, there it's just more or less making sure they think it through because some people may never have heard of shared use kitchens mm-hmm. and or co-packers. They think they right. just have to build it. Once, once you've been in the business, you know, you know about it. Now, you know, when is it wise to make that move? All right. So that's sort of going to be the focus on the, on the scaler is, you're, you know, you, as I said, if you look at the, you know. Probably going to outgrow the shared use kitchen, exactly. right? Because they you're, can't you're, be making it yeah, themselves exactly. anymore. Exactly. For the most part, you're, you're, you know, your economy, what's going to happen is you're going to look at your cost of goods sold and i got to get it down. Mm-hmm. And yet that means you have to get more throughput with lower cost of goods sold. You know, those two, you lower your cost for all practical purposes. And produce more number one product. Don't have, mm-hmm. don't have any rejects. Get rid of all your waste. Mm-hmm. And a shared-use kitchen is just that. It's a shared-use kitchen. It's not optimized for anyone. Mm-hmm. All right? Dedicated, uh, you know, a co-packer. You know, if you find the right co-packer that can really do your stuff, now, which is usually not the norm, in a new product launch because well, yeah, the products because are new it's and different. New and, different. Yeah. and then and then they're so specialized, yeah. right? So yeah. the so the co-packers all they do yeah. is dry blending yeah. or all they, they do, do is wet, wet blending or, or they, they can put it in this jar in, but they can't in, do it in, in this that. bottle yeah. or whatever. Exactly. So you have limitations to that. And then when mm-hmm. you get to the dedicated facilities, once again, it's, there's money involved. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, you may be really good at the idea mm-hmm. and marketing and sales, but you know nothing about operations. Running a plant is not all you got to do, all right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's so in the scaler, we'll be talking about that kind of transition mm-hmm. and the issues fraught with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if, you know, and then the accelerator, you know, once, once we go through this, this, I mean, the scaler is all about, you know, how do you optimize in each one of those areas mm-hmm. to, build a, to, to build a profitable business, all right? The accelerator is now is, okay, now you've been doing this and you, you and, and the way, we'll, when we select 10 of the companies, we're going to select ten mm-hmm. again. We hope to get forty. And you, it's the selection is coming up, yeah, right? Exactly. We're going to open up application this month, July. Okay. All right. And so that's exciting. Yep. And then hopefully we get forty to fifty applicants, and mm-hmm. we pick ten of them. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to pick are companies that want to grow, mm-hmm. because I don't want com- you know it's an accelerator, so we want companies that want to grow. Um, two, you know, we're going to pick ones that you know we're trying to build this ecosystem that, so that everybody. You know, we get more investors here. Mm-hmm. Right? So this class is part of that that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Sort of like we're building a football team here. Right. Using the analogy lately, this is like the Packers of the '80s. Nobody wanted to come here. Right. right? We couldn't get anybody. Right. Know? I mean, whether it be football players, coaches, um, support staffs. See, I think this is a great yeah. analogy. Yeah. yeah. And so in the '80s, you couldn't get that. Well, now in the 2000s and beyond, ever since you know, uh, we you know, uh, Wolf came into town and, and sort of turned the the system over. Free agents want to come here now. Too bad our GM doesn't hire free agents. Um, right, but, right. But, uh, not many of them, but uh, you know, free agents want to hear. Coaches want to come here, and we spin off some of the best talent. Mm-hmm. You know, around other coaches around the United, at the United right, States or from, right, uh, from, from, here. from here. So what we have to do is we have to get the best talent into the pipeline. Right. All right, and so. We want to get the top ten companies, mm-hmm. all right, so that we get investors looking at it. We get other companies that are thinking about some of these spaces that, you know what, I'm going to look at them because I might acquire them or I might partner with them. We've already got some of that activity going on, mm-hmm. but it ha- it's sort of random now. You know? Yeah, let's it's make random. It, let's make it more institutionalized. That this is, if you're thinking about it, you come here. Right. And you look at it. And right. look what we have to offer. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So, you know, we'll get 10 companies and then we're going to surround them with, you know, with the ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? So between myself, yourself, mm-hmm. um, and then we're going to, every every company will get its own mentor depending upon their need. Mm-hmm. So if they have operations needs, they'll probably find somebody that has more operations background. If it has more marketing need, it's going to be marketing background. Um, and then between the three of us, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, they've got a little bit of a cocoon to work with. Right. And then also, you know, bring in other subject matter experts as we need. And along with going through some of the core curriculum of, you know, one, how to position your business, mm-hmm. right? How to package your business, mm-hmm. you know, sale, you know, then we're going to do the marketing piece, right. you know, say, and on all the elements of marketing in order to, to maximize that, we'll do the sales and distribution piece mm-hmm. and then operations. And th- this will be just the next level up and then more one-on-one, hand, you know, coaching, mm-hmm. hand-holding support, introductions, um, everything that good entrepreneurs, you know, the, the, and, you know, and I, I hope we get really good ones that don't need as much help. But the reality is, is even though, like this last group, you know, Grilly Goods, did they really need it? Could they have figured it out? Maybe. But, you know, they were smart enough to just grab it and run with it. Absolutely. There was not even any discussion. Right. You know, I mean. Right. Like, right. No arguments yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. That And that's, that I think is common among the people who have really been successful. Yeah. They're just learners, you yeah. know, and they know, gee, I don't know how to do this, yeah. but I know other people do, yep. so I'm going to find out. Yep. And, yeah. and you just never know. I, it's funny when I've, as I've watched them, too, most of the – I was at a – something with uh, M7. Mm-hmm. It's called marshalling our resources. We're trying mm-hmm. to get our ecosystem in order. And, and one of the things we got talking about was entrepreneurs and how they find information. And I said, well, yeah, we were and, – and we were, you know – we, everybody said I did a little bit of mind mapping, and then, and then, I, and then we talked about it. And I said, well, here's the deal, though. I said, the best entrepreneurs are coming at it from every way, angle in the world. We can't figure out the angles, all angles. We just you, gotta, And it's not going to be a linear yeah. path. And I a, mean, Well, and right? it's not a linear path, yeah. and it's also not, in fact, most of the time, if you're talking to the, the best ones that I've worked with, they're not just talking about their needs. They're talking about you and you, what you're doing and what you do and how you do it. And then they find, you know, one, you start talking about yourself, all right? That's the best relationship anyways. When you're, mm-hmm. If you ever do Dale Carnegie, you know, you know, talk about them. Them, right, right? yeah. And, uh, but then they get, they, they get out of it what they need. Mm-hmm. Either they, you got something you can offer me or you don't. Don't, yeah. And they don't, and once again, even if you don't, you know, they're, the, they're all very genuine about it. You mm-hmm. know, they don't, they're not mean to you or anything. So I've seen some where like, oh, you don't have anything to offer me, you know, I don't want to talk to you. You know, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's, I rarely see that in food, actually. I've seen it a bit, but uh, like, yeah. the best of the best are just like sponges. Sponges, yeah. They're just and they're they're and and they build that rapport with almost everybody they mm-hmm. touch. Yeah. So the accelerator you're going to be um, accept starting to accept applications this month. This month, and then, and then we'll it'll select them next month in August. Mm-hmm. You know, probably mid to end of August. And then I, it'll well, start about mid. I, I've in got the to, fall. I've got to get in. And then September. Um, we'll have our innovation conference mm-hmm. in Milwaukee. It's going to be at Marquette University, okay. um, their grand hall. And um, so we'll kick off with a day-long event. And it'll okay. Be, it'll be, you know, the focus is going to be, make, you know, making our future. You know, so and they have to be Wisconsin companies? Are there any? The, the com- our companies that we're going to select will have to have be a yeah, Wisconsin, Wisconsin company. Wisconsin company, or, yeah. but anywhere in the state is fine. Correct. And how often would they have to be in Milwaukee? Um Probably for, you know, uh, between the kickoff event, mm-hmm. the cohort meetings, and, uh, you know, well, the kickoff event and the closing event is two times probably in the Milwaukee market. It'll probably right. be someplace. At least this year it will be. Um, the, the, the cohort meetings, I try to go out. I, t- I do usually do the first one 
you know, in my home because I know where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, but or in my office area or someplace on that nature. But the, I try to do my cohort meetings at one of the facilities. If somebody's got a production facility there. Yeah, yeah. So, so People like you know, to see other. Yeah. They learn things from so, those site visits. You know, they probably need to come to Milwaukee four to six times for the entire, for the nine months from September mm-hmm. to June. But that's not so bad. Yeah. I mean, I would encourage people to apply from all over the state yeah. is what I'm saying, because yeah. if you are in some place all over the state and you have a food company, most likely you got to be selling outside of your local market yeah. anyway. So, so the idea is to encourage people all over the state to consider applying. And mm-hmm. it is an incredible opportunity to get in front of the industry. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Well, And, and, and develop relationships in the industry, yeah. and those things are so helpful. Yep. I, well, and you just look at it. I mean, we, we've been talking about Grilly Goods and Top Note and yeah. Mobcraft. and Mobcraft. I mean, there's just been continued ways to leverage their brands, you mm-hmm. know, after after the... You know, right, and that's the other thing. It's not like you they stopped talking to you yeah. or me. Like, we yeah. still talk with yeah. them. So did we miss anything? I think we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, I mean, there's... I mean, obviously... You, you're not going to get it all in one setting. Um, no. But the reality is, like to your point, I mean, there's this whole there's a process, that, you know, that will help you. you know? Right. It doesn't mean you have to follow. I'm a firm believer that you know processes are there to, to to make things as smooth as possible. Do you have to follow them completely? No, not necessarily. But when you make the cut the corners, you better know what you're cutting mm-hmm. because it could hurt you. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, that's why I always look at entrepreneurs. If you don't have the experience to cut the corners, you don't know if you're making a, a fatal mistake or not. Um, that's why I would I would always recommend, you know, what the good entrepreneurs do is they keep talking to people. So hopefully they can engage in their processes and our scale starter scalers, accelerators, just coming and joining Fab. Um we're gonna one thing we will be doing is we're gonna be we're gonna actually have an entrepreneurial rate. You know, for one oh, one good. to two companies it's be like fifty or a hundred dollars. One Something, to two employees yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. Perfect. So that so that, you know, it's really there should be no reason not to. All right. Um and, you know, because that networking, you know, once it's again, so I, important. Didn't, I didn't worry about it. I had a built-in ecosystem at Oscar Mayer and Sargento and Palermo's. I didn't have to worry about it. And plus, I had millions of dollars at my fingertips. So right. when I picked up the phone and asked somebody, sent them from Oscar Mayer, and I, ha- I would like to talk to you about some equipment, I got their attention. Right. They actually they returned actually your phone call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had right. one guy that said, he sat between me and another guy that we were, spend- we were spending, that we were spending on the nature of, and this was $1990. We were each spending about, we had about $10 million budget set, you know, for each year for the right. four years that we were working. He said, I could sell my seed for $100,000 right now. We were having breakfast with him. And mm-hmm. it's like, and you, know, you know, that's when I first realized that, you know, yeah, you're going to, everybody returns your phone calls. When I went right. to Sargento, we were a smaller company. So I had to sell them on the, the opportunity to grow because that was, you know, they were considerably smaller. But by the time I left, they were about a billion. And right. So now, you, you know, right. you pick up your phone. So you have that luxury, but you don't have that luxury as an entrepreneur. And the only way you get the only way you're going to do that is you, you'll be surprised that almost every one of these CEOs, wanna, they'll be willing to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the best things I ever read in a book someplace uh, was called Rites of Passage. It was like try to search out on LinkedIn retired, you know, executives, because they have a lot of time on their hands now, and they have a lot of information. They'll be willing to talk to you. Mm-hmm. They may not always be the most relevant, but but they're going to give you business insight. Mm-hmm. They're going to give you larger picture issues to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might introduce you to the right people you need to know. All right. So 
those are the kind of things that you can you can do on your own, but you know that's what Fab is for is bring right. people together for that right. and then focus programming towards. It. And it's so much more efficient that way. I mean, mm-hmm. that when the, the other thing about being an entrepreneur is you're doing everything, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. networking is time yeah. too. And so being efficient about it and networking mm-hmm. with with CEOs who are in the food industry mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And doing it efficiently yeah. is really, really useful. Yeah, just going to the Milwaukee Metropolitan Association of Commerce and networking is like 80% of the people in the room aren't people you really want to talk to. Right, I right. mean, not to say that they don't have anything to offer you, but... They do, but it's different and but it's, it's not, not as beverage. efficient. Yeah, exactly. It's, a, you know, it's sort of like I always say, advertising to Miller Park mm-hmm. or advertising to people that have the attitude that they want this. Right. I mean, you've got 100,000, or 30, in that case, about 40,000 people. Um, and you're only really marketing to 10,000 of them, mm-hmm. you know, so like or, or the, the sausage is running yeah. around, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Well, hey, it's been great to yep. have you. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.